0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show.
1: So the international break is over and it's all go for Manchester City between now and the end of the season. If things go according to plan and City progress in both the FA Cup and the Champions League, then it'll be a game pretty much every five minutes for Pep Guardiola and his team. It all starts with Leicester this weekend, but it's difficult to ignore the looming spectre of that quarter final with Borussia Dortmund in the coming midweek. We'll be looking ahead to both of those games on today's Blue Moon podcast. Then there was also the bombshell this week that Sergio Aguero will be leaving City at the end of the season after a decade with the club. Howard Hawkins will be looking at his time at the Etihad, while we'll also discuss some of his best bits as we try to come to terms with another legend saying goodbye. I'm David Mooney, and this week, as a bit of a treat, we're welcoming three of the team behind the Main Road Ramble podcast. So, I'm joined by John Ashley. Good afternoon, David. Andrew Detmer. Hello there. And Joe Deegan. Hi, David. How are you? I'm not too bad thank you um, well I, I mean not too bad in the context of things because there's there, there's only one place that we can start really uh, and it's with this
0: Manchester City are still alive here Balotelli Aguero
2: It's time for Manchester City to snatch the title away from Manchester United.
1: I'm not going to lie, I don't need any excuse to play that audio from time to time, so uh, there we go. But the news was a bit of a bombshell uh, out of the blue on Monday evening that Sergio Aguero isn't going to be signing a contract extension, and that means he'll leave on a free transfer at the end of the season. Uh, Johnny the Bakewell Blue's been in touch, uh, and he says, Hi guys, I'm just devastated. I couldn't bear it when Merlin left, I cried at the Leicester game when Vinny walked round the pitch, and now I'm just gutted. He's fading, of course, and not as lethal as he once was, but he's still the best striker to ever play for our club, and most others too legend i actually really properly love him sniffling again um we also had a bit of a discussion breakout on our Twitter feed uh, over the over the week between uh, Nico and Cheech. Uh, Nico said, um, how much do you think we as fans should really care about good footballing decisions as opposed to enjoying the emotion of the game? Specifically in the case of Aguero, where I'm seeing tons of City fans say it makes sense to get rid. Uh, Cheech replied to that and said, uh, it's definitely a modern day phenomenon and I don't know if Twitter and the type of fan it brings is a factor. Similar in a way to the net spend argument, why anyone would ever care about that kind of thing is beyond me um so i mean let's start with you guys john what was your reaction to the news when uh, when you found out
3: i think my my first reaction was wait why now like why is this news breaking in this international break i mean it's normally the kind of thing that the city leave until the end of the season um maybe not so much with david silver although that was a, a slightly different situation with covid but uh, kind of my, my instant reaction was, well, what's going on? Why is, why is it now? Is there something kind of negative going on here between City and Aguero, which was my biggest fear at that point. I realized that Aguero would leave somehow under some kind of cloud. And what we've seen since is that that isn't the case. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved because of that, but sad, obviously, that this... This legend, this particular legend, but also the last of the uh, the original generation of, of legends is, is is leaving as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Andrew, the the point there about good footballing decisions and and the emotion of the game, do you can you understand both sides of this?
4: I, I definitely can. I think I fall on the, the side of, and you know, it's you know my my training as a lawyer to think through things logically, and sometimes maybe uh, to my detriment, compartmentalize emotions away. Um, I was definitely devastated in the sense of when I saw the news, I was just like, that's, this sucks. And it's it's a lot because, you know, much like David, I don't think he got the farewell that he deserved. Um, But I can also understand the club's position, Aguero's position. I can also understand that, Uh, Based on his history, I get why once the decision was made, they probably had to announce it because it seems like any news about Aguero um, is going to find its way into the press. And I think that the club wanted to make sure that the narrative remained clean and that they could say, you know, we appreciate everything he's done for us. He's a legend. We're going to honor him properly. But now is the time for us to depart. Um, Yeah. And that's sad. But I, I can understand how that decision was reached.
1: Sure, it's it's never a good time to say goodbye to someone like Aguero as one of the club's greatest ever players. Um, but it, it's I I also wonder if now is the right time, and and it, again that maybe comes down to the good footballing decision thing. But you know, is is maybe not what he was pre injury and pre COVID. You know, City are going to probably going to win the title this season. I'll still caveat that even at this stage. Um, <laughs> And if he were to stay, then like even next season, he he might barely play again for a second season running. And that's not kind of how you want it to end for a, a club legend, is it?
2: Yeah, I, I've to be honest, I've been kind of on a rollercoaster of emotions the last couple of days. Um, I kind of initially started with anger that how could the club do this to us by letting them, you know, not offering him a new contract or like without even knowing the full story or details behind the situation. I kind of went through a period of like anger and then like kind of sadness and the heartbrokenness kind of hit me and you know, it was just uh, like, emotional I suppose is the best way to describe it. And now it's kind of acceptance because you're, you're starting to hear all the podcasts and read all the articles and you're kind of, you know, you found out what's kind of coming out or, or around the situation and yeah, like I, 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 to say I could see it coming is probably correct. Um, and the timing of it is probably correct as well. Um, you know, he's been he's been such a good servant to this to this club. Um, you obviously don't want to depart. Sorry, you don't want him to depart on you know on any sort of bad terms. And I think if it took the international break for him to sit down with Guardiola and kind of go over the details of what what the club are planning to do over the next uh, the next summer window and and into the future, then. You know, it's kind of nice that it went out amicably, but I just, I just, I'm so good. I was, I was afraid that somebody was going to start talking about the the QPR moment because similar to, uh, similar (laughs) to like you know, really the only things in life like Mufasa dying, the ending of Titanic, and that goal are really the only things that kind of make me well up regularly. and it, 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 I suppose watching that goal and hearing that clip just brings back every single emotion I think we all felt on that day of what he done to the club. And I was only speaking to my dad about it the other night. And geez, the two of us were nearly we were nearly ready to hit the whiskey. <laughs> we were it was it was um no, it's sad, but I'm glad it, it, it I'm glad he's going to go out. Maybe not to the high note of in front of all the fans that we we really wanted, but the fact that he's gone out like on terms with the club is is the most important bit and. You know, I just wish I was there against Everton, where there's going to be ten thousand fans allowed back to to send them off because more than anybody else, he deserves it.
1: I was going to say, John. That's the thing, isn't it? It's kind. It, it's sad, as in the same way as it, it was sad with David Silva, that it's it's most likely either going to be without fans or with a very reduced capacity.
3: Yeah, and you'd hope with both him and David Silva that maybe it'll be a joint testimonial at this point, um, which would be nice to see when there is a full stadium again or even two separate ones um i don't know but uh he certainly has a fantastic legacy um and we were talking about this the other day and you know that they were already talking about a a, a statue being added um to, to 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 the other two as well um but to me he needs a stand named after him then all stand needs to be named after him because no other player in city history or future is going to be able to replicate that moment at that end of the ground there's just not going to be a combination of circumstances that that makes it as meaningful as that so it's always going to be known unofficially as like oh yeah that's the end that aguero scored the goal against qpr so why not just Mm. make it official and it's the sergio aguero
2: stand yeah or not sergio aguero stadium
1: well, well, yeah. Uh, here's here's a question though that uh, I, I, I'm going to throw it to uh, the unemotional Andrew Detmer. Um, <laughs> how how would you feel if he stayed in the Premier League? Uh,
4: we've talked about this in our group chat, and I have said that there are a few clubs that, if he stays in the Premier League, I'm more okay with him going to. But there are also some that, like, I will be gutted. Um, John decided to. April fools all of us by sending an early morning chat that uh, Aguero had already struck a deal with United and I think we were all ready to throttle him until we realized the date Oh, come on,
1: there's there's absolutely no like that. that if there's any not team, he's not going to. He's he's not going to United. You, right. Have you seen uh, his, yeah. his social posts about United? <laughs> and that's that's why it was ridiculous,
3: and and they still <laughs> fell for it. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I mean the the one for me is the one where on the video where they uh, they ask him which United player would you take in, in City's team, and he goes to be honest, none of them. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> works for amazing. Me. So I mean, here's the question though, Joe. What comes next? Um, does this signal that City are going to pay big for a striker this summer? And I mean, we'll talk about the Dortmund game a bit later on, but could it be Erling
2: Haaland? Um, yeah, I think it has to signal that they're you know they they have serious intentions going into this this window. I think regardless of whether Aguero signed a one-year contract extension or not, it it's still. I think getting getting a top man, a top striker, in there for the next you know five, six, seven, eight, nine years into the club would would have been high on the agenda. So it definitely it definitely signals that they it seems that they had discussions with Aguero that listen, we are looking to bring in a number nine. You will have to take a back, seat whether you stay or not. Um, and I think the one obviously there's there's you know as there's always going to be rumours and links to, to certain players. It looks like Haaland is the one. Um, it also look. Uh, if, if rumours are to be believed, that you'd think Harry Kane or potentially Romelu Lukaku were high up on the list, but for me, um, I think the club have to be looking at Haaland. I suppose like every other club in Europe at the moment, they're going to be having an eye on him and seeing what it's going to take to kind of pry him away from Borussia Dortmund. But listen, he seems like he he's, he's, he has the family connection. Um, you, you'd hope that. He sees what the club and what they want to do going forward. He seems like a very, very competitive sort of footballer and he's going to want to compete at the highest level and uh, you're just hoping City, well you know City will be able to offer him that, we're just hoping that he maybe picks us over maybe some of the Spanish giants or or Paris.
1: Yeah, Uh, well let's hear now from Howard Hawking who's talking this week about Sergio Aguero's legacy at City.
5: Nowadays you can't even enjoy an international break without something happening at City that requires you to man the barricades or think about times past and the future too. Now I'm not even talking about the inevitable hatchet jobs that will now be carried out because for the first time in many many months John Stones dared make a mistake. Before that the sudden news that Sergio Aguero was definitely leaving Manchester City at season end certainly roused us all from our 14 day slumber and the impact of the news was clear for all to see online. Not the biggest surprise, but it's never great to have your worst fears confirmed. Now, I'm never going to cry from the news alone that a player is leaving. There are, unfortunately, bigger things for me to consider that response for in the world right now. However, in a packed crowd, with Sergio running onto the pitch in tears as his son Benjamin kicks a ball towards where I am sat, followed by a heartfelt speech in a Manc accent, well, that could have me bawling and hugging the 50-year-old tattooed man sat next to me. Maybe. But the news seems to have brought out two types of responses from fans, those devastated and those that were sad but pragmatic about the whole affair. I'm most definitely in the latter. And why am I generally okay with the news? Relatively speaking, at least. Because apart from the timing, it didn't really surprise me, I guess. There's probably two reasons I'm okay with the news, and it's due to the two ways that I've had a run-up at what is inevitable, eventually. Truth is, I've seen more Sergio on Twitch than on a football pitch over the past year. If this news had broken suddenly in the middle of one of his best seasons then it would have been far more devastating but whilst his lack of playing time and constant fitness troubles are sad to see they've made an exit more palatable more inevitable maybe palatable it's not the perfect word I kind of knew that perhaps his body was not up to the job anymore but as a fan I would have liked to have seen more evidence before accepting that I wanted him to play some league games in the hope he could turn things around I didn't think it would end like this and he may still prove me wrong, but somewhere else. Secondly, as soon as the likes of Yaya Torre and Pablo Zabaleta left the club, it dawned on me that this was my life now, and this was the life of all blues, a life whereby every season ends with a legend leaving. Sad, but more of course for celebration than anything else. I should warn you now, there's a terrible analogy in coming. You see, it's like being at the funeral of a 102-year-old that's a good run and a cause for celebration for life lived fully rather than despair at a death which comes to us all i did warn you it was a terrible analogy but there is a truth in there somewhere like us all dying he had to leave at some point and a one-year extension where he may be no more than backup to a big name striker such as harland is not the be-all and end-all for us fans just putting off what must come at some point and I look at his exit as a reason to celebrate 10 years at the club rather than him not making it to 11. It still staggers me that so many legends stayed this long. I cannot apportion any blame for Pep, for it was no doubt he who had the final decision here, making such a tough and perhaps brutal decision. I understand it, but it still rankles a bit after all the talk of Sergio being the one who would decide when his City career ended. Not strictly true, that, was it? And as a fan, I wanted more proof that Sergio was done. I wanted to see him play those games. I wanted to see a miracle, a John Stones-level resurrection. Though John Stones is probably not the best example on this particular day. I wanted a summer decision on his future, not now, during an international break. And for some reason, I think it would have sat better with me if it had been Sergio's decision, not the club's. Because he, like David Silva, Vincent Kompany and others before him, had earned the right to decide when to leave. The emotion will come, though his crying emoji responses to other players' messages isn't helping, to be honest. It will come when his time is truly up. After all, I hope he still has a story or two to tell during his time at the club. I mean, he hasn't actually left yet, which will have affected my mood. Seeing me walk off the pitch for the final time, should I know that is the final time, will not see me as calm, I can assure you. Though looking at a selection of his goals, any selection would do, certainly won't help you if you're struggling with his exit. It's a timely reminder of just how good he was, is, because it is so easy to take such brilliance over a long period for granted. It's naturally sad that many of us who will want to say our goodbyes cannot be there for City's final home match of the season. Perhaps none of us will, we will see. What is certain is that he and David Silver need to return one more time when normality itself returns to our lives. We need a proper goodbye. Of course, the need to rank him from non-City fans soon became tiresome as it and inevitably it always would. If he wasn't a great, his departure would not make the back pages of every newspaper. He would not have dominated my Twitter timeline for 24 hours or more. He would not have created the shock and disappointment that it did. This is City's highest ever goal scorer we were talking about. This is the guy who essentially peaked so early, and whose peak was so high, there was essentially nowhere else to go. But he decided to stay close to that peak for another nine years anyway. The greatest moment in the club's history, and it always will be, is his, his statue was earned there and then. He scored 28 goals or more in all competitions for six successive seasons. Without his consistent niggling injuries, his statistics would be even more impressive. But he retains the best minutes per goal ratio in Premier League history. Shearer, Rooney, Henri and perhaps more were all greats too. Let's not bore ourselves to sleep arguing over ranks. Appreciate the honour of watching one of the greats wear our shirt with pride for 10 years. New legends will be created. They have a tough task because it is about more than winning matches and trophies. The likes of David Silva, Sergio Aguero, Vinny, Zaba and Yes Yaya, Fernandinho and more were legends for reasons more than just football alone. They were trailblazers in the modern era that have set the path for the club for decades to come and they had something about them that transcended football. They were special people away from the pitch, all in their own unique way. But new legends will be formed, to be sure of that some are already here so be sad but be thankful too better to have loved and lost and all that our club is doing something right if it's had to wave goodbye to a legend on an annual basis year after year after year and the club has managed those goodbyes pretty perfectly too even if Yaya Toro is unlikely to use his lifelong season ticket so there's nothing more I can say really all my thanks and my love are offered for what he has done for the club he literally changed my life with one swing of his foot he saved it I mean, just imagine if he'd missed that shot versus QPR. Actually don't, it would make you ill. But that's only a tiny story anyway, of the story of Sergio Aguero at City. he has been everything and more that I could have wanted from a football player. Even when stamping on David Luiz, he did it with a certain charm. He's one that stands up to a policeman in order to protect City fans, who assimilated himself into Manchester life and changed his playing style to extend that Northern English life. A deadly striker that could destroy small and big teams alike. What a tough act to follow. Perhaps an impossible act to follow, but let's not wallow in his exit for too long, but get excited at the prospect of someone else taking over his crown, because a new dynasty awaits.
6: Hi, I'm David James, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: a pledge of $2 a month you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: That was Howard Hawking. And before we move on from uh, Sergio Aguero, I, I mean, we have to, I think I'm going to discount the Queen's Park Rangers goal because otherwise it's so it, it's so easy to, to kind of just default to that. Um, but John, what's what's your favourite Aguero moment or kind of a, a goal or so, just something from Aguero that, that makes you smile every time?
3: So the, I'm going to go with the first Sergio Aguero goal that I saw in person, um, which was the 1-0 away win in the quarterfinal at the League Cup 2011-12. Um, City at Arsenal um, and uh, City hadn't played well the whole game um, and it, it was like the 85th minute or something like that, it looked like the game was going to go to extra time Uh, and Arsenal had a corner um, and City broke uh, and Edin Dzeko kind of brought the ball out from the back, skipped over a couple of challenges um, and ended up basically with just this flowing counter-attacking move that Aguero finished off with absolute aplomb. and it was it was that moment where it was like this is you kind of sat back and realised that this is new this is this is something we've got this we've got this striker who finishes big games and big moments and it just felt like something different was happening at City you know we'd won the FA yeah. Cup which was which was the big hurdle to get over winning a trophy um, but just to have someone come in who was as lethal uh, as Aguero was. And, and
4: seeing him in the flesh was just next level. Yeah, what does it for you, Andrew? So, uh, I I don't know if it was his last hat trick. Hat trick. It might be his second to last. But uh, the Chelsea six nil game when Aguero somehow misses one of the easiest shots I've ever seen him take, and then he decides to just say screw it from thirty yards out and just absolutely smashes the ball past Chelsea because that should, to me that's Aguero. He is such a natural goal scorer that. He can make mistakes that you would say, oh, "Man, how can how can this guy be a top level striker?" And then just he will bury a shot that you just can't comprehend.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, here's the one. If you if you don't say it, then uh, I'm going to say it. So I'm wondering what your moment is, and if it's going to clash with what mine is.
2: Uh, well, I've got a few on the top of my head, but if I was to be pushed for one, it's the one at Old Trafford um, when he, you know, he, he's kind of running horizontally across the box and he's he's jinking in a, like you know around a couple of united defenders and then does unleashes an absolute bullet into the into the top corner past the hey um he everybody knows is the test for united much like ourselves and it just felt like that goal was just saying you know it was a big like just to them into the he was running into the city fans and it's just um that's one that sticks out for me but I have a couple of honourable mentions but I'll let you um, in case I rain on your parade.
1: Well mine uh, I, I got back to that same season actually in uh, in 2013 it would have been about January um, and he scored against Liverpool from the tightest yeah. of angles that I've yeah. I, I've no idea how he did it other than like the goal was empty the ball was bouncing and obviously he'd skip past uh, Pepe Reina but he had to wrap his foot around it curl it Kind of like on on the volley with a little bit of kind of outside of the foot curl to drop it in the far post, and I've never never seen a goal like it. To the point, it, like it finished it with him on his ass, sat down watching it cross the <laughs> line, and just the celebration was was was. I can still see it in my head the way he's just kind of like double fist pumps just from the floor. Fantastic goal! Uh, is that,
2: was that one one on your list? Joe? Yeah? yeah, absolutely. That one was on my list along with. Um... He got obviously the other one, the one he got against Liverpool at home, I think it was two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the game mm-hmm. where John Stones cleared it off the line, but he kind of fell to the ground and you know there were shouts for a penalty, but then he got back up and Van Dyke lost sight of him and he took a touch on his left foot, rifled it into the top corner. That set us on our way in a, in a really, really important game. And um, that one as well as against United, I think it was that same season in the 3 1 game, 3 1 win at home to United. Um, mm-hmm. And again, he, he kind of made a he kind of made a career for City with these kind of near post absolute bullets. Um, yeah. And again, he just absolutely it was just after half time, and he fired it straight past uh, David De Gea. So, yeah, um, it says a lot. So many doesn't many it, there's so
1: many to choose from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's kind of pivot on that a little bit, and uh, and look ahead to the game with Leicester in uh, in the Premier League. Um, John, how how involved do you think Aguero will be now that we know he's leaving? That mm-hmm. obviously the, the Premier League is, as I said before, almost sewn up. The focus will be on the Champions League, and there is that this kind of there is the desire to see still see Aguero get back in onto the pitch and, and scoring some goals before he leaves.
3: Yeah, I think that we're kind of entering the, the perfect situation um, for the end of now. You know, this is going to be the end of Aguero's career at City, and and it's that. We have these, these Premier League games, which need winning, um, but are not the first priority. Um, and we look at the, the second leg against uh, Gladbach in the last round of the Champions League, and you think that's going to be potentially pretty much the, the starting lineup against Dortmund, if everybody is fit. Um, So I expect to see Aguero play a lot in the Premier League, um, which will hopefully help his sharpness um, and his match fitness even more, which if we then need a goal in the Champions League, he's the guy you're bringing on to score it. And so I think it's it's really good news for City that everyone stayed fit after the international break and that he can be scoring goals, hopefully, in in the Premier League but also then be ready to come on if needed in the Champions League.
1: Yeah, and this this won't be a, an easy game against Leicester, Andrew. They um, they handed City a bit of a battering in the in the second game of the season. Um, what's what's changed for City going into this one from back then?
4: I mean, I think that the easiest thing to say is uh, Ruben Dias coming in and completely um, just revitalising. <laughs> Um, and solidifying our defense in a way that it really wasn't at the beginning of the season. Um, You know, if you look at all the penalties that we gave away that day, they were mostly given away by people who no longer would find themselves starting um, in city's best 11, theoretically. Um, The other thing that I think too, that has just changed is that I think Guardiola has really looked at the system and realized that in a season where everyone's playing so many matches that, Passing rather than running is the key, and the team to me just seems a lot more patient and willing to make the right passes and pass teams to death in a way that maybe we weren't at the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah, Joe. Given obviously uh, City's change around in form in in how they've been defending, with as Andrew says, the uh, the impact of Ruben Diaz as well, Um, and given the fact that Leicester have got quite a lot of injuries at the moment. How can we actually measure this as a, a, as a kind of sign of progress? Or is it is it going to be another one of those kind of false equivalences?
2: Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, I guess. I, I think, um, uh, listen, I, I don't think Guardiola takes any fools. You know, I, th- I, I think he's fully aware of the, like, he will not want to be beaten by Leicester again, having what happened that first game um, at the Etihad earlier on in the season. Um, so I think that... Yeah, it can be. It can be somewhat of a yardstick, I think, going forward. But I think more so, he 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 strikes me as a very proud man who, you know, he wouldn't like a record of getting beaten at home five two by by a team who, you know, wouldn't be, you know, of the same. Like, it's probably wrong of me to say of the same caliber because they've been so good under Brendan Rogers, but that would have hurt him. And I, I think that when he goes out the weekend against, his... I don't think it's going to be. You know we're not going to change too much from from where we've been. I don't think he's going to throw out, you know, not like not a really really competitive eleven because he doesn't seem to do that for any game anyway. But I think that yeah, Leicester are a good side. Even like with and without the injuries that they've had, they've what they've done is incredible, and the way they've been able to to deal with it is incredible. It might actually be looking to Dortmund. It might not be too similar to a game that what we're going to see on Wednesday as well of going away to Leicester and then playing against a uh, Dortmund in, in Europe. So. Yeah, it could be a yardstick, I suppose, for the season as an entirety. Um, I just think we've come on so so much from from that origin. That wasn't the city that we're seeing now back then. Yeah. Um, obviously, the emergence of Ruben Diaz coming through. But I also think, I think what gets kind of overlooked in that game, we kind of went chasing in that first game. He took off Fernandinho at half time and brought on more attacking player. And I I just think that with the emergence of you know Diaz doing so well, Rodri being really really good at like screening the back four these days. I think we're in for a much, much different game, and I think we, I think we'll, we'll go there and try and prove a point. I think.
1: Yeah, twenty, twenty-three percent of uh, City's goals in the Premier League conceded this season have been scored by Leicester. That's uh, th- that's how well City Incredible. have been defended so, in the yeah. other games. Yeah. Um, yeah, John Vardy likes City. We know this. Um, how are they going to stop him this time?
3: I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I think we we tried we've tried everything with him. He's just he seems to be our kryptonite in terms of just the the nuisance that that he causes in so many different ways you know he's very intent on getting in behind the defense um which and you look at the the defense that that started that that 5-2 game back in september and it was i think the back three was uh was it garcia ake and walker who were playing in like a it was a back, I think it was still a back four, but um, I, I think uh, Mendy was playing that game as well. So it was a, a very, very different defence, probably, than what we're going to see on Saturday. Um, and and it, it, it helps to remember also that three of the goals that Leicester scored were penalties <laughs> um, in that game too. So Leicester actually only, only really beat us on penalties, is what I like to say about that game. But Yeah, but, but was, I,
1: I, I'm dreading a game going to penalties because City can't score them. So well, like, That's yeah. true.
3: I'll yeah. Say, yeah so i think you know vardy's ability to get in behind his pace which is still there despite how how old he is uh and the his just desire to finish as quickly as possible just keeps because he scored one of those goals uh against us in september where a near post finish where the ball was going between and his legs and he just flicked it and it just caught garcia and edison completely out so yeah i I don't know how we stop him, um, but I'm also not sure if this game is really a priority um, for City, uh, and we'll see with the lineup that Guardiola puts out.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing, isn't it, Andrew? You look at, at, at the list of games to come now in the next in the next kind of two weeks or so. It's Leicester, Dortmund leads Dortmund, Chelsea. Um, it's about managing the squad well now, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean the the use of the team over the international break. I mean, roughly. 83% of the possible minutes out there were played by city players. So Pep has to think about what players that would maybe be in our strongest team. Can they play Leicester and then Dortmund? Um, and maybe they can, and then you rest them against Leeds. but maybe some of them have to be rested against Leicester to play against Dortmund. Um, <laughs> and it feels weird to say, but at the, at the end of the day, the Leicester game and the Leeds games are the least important of the next five matches. The city plays.
1: Yeah. I mean that's that, that's the thing, Joe. When you when you, you have this run of, of of games like this and the lead city are built up in the Premier League, they you kind of feel like you have to use that leeway. That that's what it's there for now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think to be fair to Guardiola, he's he's managed to you know, he's managed to rotate and keep everybody happy this season, which seems incredible considering you know, a twenty a twenty one game winning run in the middle of a of a pandemic, like and you're keeping everybody happy and the, the squad ticking over. So um, yeah, he's going to keep, I think, I think he'll, he'll he'll still rotate as much as he has been doing. But I, I feel like we're so strong at the moment, that we, and, and, you know, players being back from injuries and stuff, that even if he was to weaken it up a bit by maybe leaving a De Bruyne out or, you know, one of the centre-halves, like, if he leaves Diaz out, there's a Laporte to step in. If he leaves Stones out, you know, it, there's an Ake to come in. We're, we're still going to be really, really... Um, well drilled and i suppose strong um so i think he he has a lot of options to play with to be honest and i'd expect them i I, I, th- I think this next five game i think would be alright i think we'd be, we'll come out of it okay i think they've shown this season that they they look different this, this squad looks different and i think that um if he keeps if gari keeps managing the way they are and rotating the way they are yeah i look at this five and i think yeah it's difficult but we're well capable of it
1: yeah, John. The 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 way City play. I mean, I, I I feel like this season has maybe been less entertaining but more controlled. And I'm just wondering if if Guardiola were to switch back to the the, the kind of the sort of game we were seeing in the first half of the season and grind out some wins in this run. Are, are you that bothered if it's not that entertaining?
3: At, at this stage in the season, it's all about results, and we we have we have proved to everybody that we can play entertaining football when we want to. And it's actually probably been the biggest criticism leveled at city that they don't really know a a way to, to win games when it's close. Um, and that's maybe not that fair, but that, you know, when it, when it gets to the real knockout stages of the champions league, um, we've been found wanting defensively in terms of conceding too many away goals. And we've gone out on away goals twice in recent years. And, and so, um, not having that happen again, is going to, hopefully going to be a result this, this year. Um, and I think the only way you're going to do that is by playing more conservatively, but, um, we're still creating plenty of chances, even in this like less attacking, um, kind of mode that we're playing and just because we're not playing with a striker doesn't mean as we've seen that that we're not playing attacking football and so it's just a different way of playing attacking football that is more controlled and i don't have a problem with that at all and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
1: Now, uh, as we mentioned, we'll, we'll, we'll look ahead to the uh, Dortmund game now. We'll get your predictions for the Leicester game shortly. Uh, but the Champions League returns this week, so that's going to be the focus of the next part of this week's show. One Football's Dan Burke has been speaking to his colleague and Dortmund fan, Lewis Ambrose, to find out more about the German side. Dan starts by asking how different this Dortmund side is to the one that City faced in the Champions League back
0: in 2012. Completely different. Um... <laughs> To think, you you've probably got Ilkay Gundogan on the other side, and other than that, Marco Royce is probably the only Dortmund player that played back then that might even have a chance of being in the lineup if he's fit this round. So, yeah, they've Dortmund have gone through a bit of a weird transition over the years. I guess you you have that that season obviously was when they went far in the Champions League. Since then, you had the after the rise, the fall of Jürgen Klopp and and his team. Moving on to Thomas Tuchel and going for a more maybe Guardiola-esque style of football, um, which brought relative success. And the, the team did well in the Champions League, and uh, sorry, in the Europa League and did all right in the Bundesliga, put up one title challenge, won a trophy, their last trophy, the cup. And since then, it's all been a bit weird. Um, I think the club of maybe... Lost their way a little bit in terms of identity. I think that Dortmund team that you talk about that played City last time around had such a clear identity, like Liverpool do now under Jurgen Klopp. And it was all about maybe not having the best players, but players that worked incredibly hard, players that put absolutely everything in, no matter they, whether they were playing, you know, Bayern Munich or Manchester City or anybody else, or playing, you know, Mainz or Stuttgart or Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga. They, Fought for every single loose ball, and that's what the game was about. They're they're trying or starting to return a little bit to that, but you can see under Ed Edin Terzic who took over when Lucien Favre was sacked earlier in the season, it's just not quite there. It's not quite clicked. It's not quite planned and thoroughly detailed enough. The the pressing and the hard work and that hard work without that organisation will only get you so far. So. I think that's why you'll see Dortmund are sort of struggling to qualify for the Champions League again when you look at their Bundesliga form at the moment. That maybe compared to that that Dortmund team back then. You've got more talent in the side on a sort of very superficial level, but they're just not put on the pitch in a way that gets the most out of it like they were back then under Jurgen Klopp.
6: Yeah, um, Dortmund have of course got Marco Rosa taking over as their permanent new coach at the end of the season, in the meantime they've got Edin uh, Terzic in, in caretaker charge as you mentioned. What sort of coach is he and how impressed have you been with him since he took over from, from Lucin Favre back in December?
0: I've been very impressed with his interviews, he speaks really <laughs> really well and I, I don't mean that, it mean, probably comes across a little bit insulting <laughs> Um he genuinely speaks really, really well. um You can tell that he's got the club at heart, and I think that was the most important thing. That was a, it's a big reason that he's got the job for the time being, and uh, also a reason that you know he came into a pretty horrible situation where he was not maybe in the situation where he could achieve very much this season, but there was no way he was ever going to turn it down. He's you know. I think you see that a lot in German football, where it matters so much to the fans and to the team and to the club as a whole. That there are people around the club and around the first team who really hold the club dear at heart. Uh, Turzich has spoken about being on the on the yellow wall when he was a kid growing up, and he grew up in the area, and he's been at Dortmund for a really long time now. In between, he went off to to West Ham and Besiktas to learn under Slaven Bilic as his assistant came back to Dortmund after first getting his break there as a scout as part of Lucien Favre's training o uh, back staff a couple of years ago and obviously did impressive enough work to be handed the reins in quite a delicate situation this season i think under favre the biggest criticism maybe was that the team when you talk about you know Dortmund and people talk about the the fans of the yellow wall and about Klopp and that emotional side of things. And Favre was never really that sort of guy. He was very calm and considered. And there was something that didn't quite add up in the way that I think people view Dortmund and Dortmund view themselves and the way that Lucien Favre conducts himself. And, you know, he was never going to be next to the pitch going absolutely mental and celebrating with fans at the end of games and stuff like that. Edin Terzic is much more, maybe your personification of what people think a Dortmund coach should behave like and act like. I think that's important to sort of reestablish that link, especially right now when there are no fans in the stadium. The issues, the bigger issues are definitely on the pitch. I think you see a Dortmund team that more than ever, I think relies on the talent that they have to win games. And you do look at the Bundesliga and other than Bayern, Dortmund have by far the second most talented and second most expensive squad as well. There's no way they should be struggling to win a lot of their games, but that's exactly what we've seen this season. So, you know, teams like Mainz, Cohn, Hertha, BSC have all managed to take points off Dortmund simply because it's a problem I think we see with a lot of big clubs. But Dortmund have got all those players, but the plan to actually break down teams and manage to make sure you don't get caught out on the counter-attack or at a set-piece at the other end, it just isn't quite there.
6: A lot of people are viewing this tie essentially as, as Erling Haaland versus City's very strong defence. How do you expect he's going to get on against the likes of Ruben Dias and John Stones in this this tie?
0: <laughs> I think I think it, yeah, it goes without saying that Erling Haaland's going to have to play really well and have a big influence if Dortmund are going to have any chance here, I reckon. Um, especially with Jalen Sancho missing for the first leg, at least maybe the second leg as well. I think it will be Holland. It will also be for me, Dortmund's defense. Um, Holland can only make some sort of difference if they manage to keep city out at the other end and then, you know, put the counter attacks together to actually find him. And I mean, I've seen plenty of city this season and you can see how formidable the team looks. at just that, Door that that was a revolving door on the counter attack a couple of years ago just is slammed shut in the face of pretty much anybody this mm-hmm. season. So if Holland's on his game, obviously he'll be a handful. Obviously he's got the the ability, the, the physique. ridiculously big, and you've seen recently against Leipzig and against Bayern, a little bit against Sevilla as well in the Champions League games. He seems to be learning more and more how to use his body. I think that was maybe the biggest question a year ago when he joined Dortmund. He obviously had this size, but he played like a (laughs) puncher, just purely, you know, incredibly fast and getting on the end of chances in the six yard box and things like that. He seems to now be getting more and more comfortable with his own body and being able to back himself to hold the ball up and push defenders off the ball. Whether or not he'll have the support to, to do that alone, you know, against Ruben Diaz, maybe John Stones, the way he's been playing, Rodri, if he's screening in front of the defence as well. And you've got three big physical guys there. Holland's going to have to rely a little bit more on help, maybe, than he did against Sevilla in the, in the previous round. The space will be there in behind, but yeah, it'll be a matter of whether or not Dortmund can find him.
6: Of course, City fans are very excited about the prospects of Haaland potentially moving to the Etihad in the summer. What's your hunch on what his next move will be? I mean, is is there any possibility he might even stay at Dortmund?
0: Yeah, I think there's a chance he stays at Dortmund for one more year. I, I definitely wouldn't have him, I don't think he'd be at Dortmund for more than one more season. But if the team qualify for the Champions League, I think that they will really dig their hills in. And if not, keep him but to force as, as big a bid as possible in the summer. It, especially if Jadon Sancho is sold as well, I think they would like to keep at least one of them. It obviously becomes a lot more difficult if they're not in the Champions League to convince either of them that they should give it one more year. But with Marco Rosa coming in as the new coach, the impression you get is that Dortmund would like to have at least one of those players and the the financial hit they've taken during the pandemic is obviously massive. If they Weren't to qualify for the Champions League, it's probably one step too far, and they probably would for the right price pl- for the right price sell both of them. If they do qualify for the Champions League, and I mean they're coming out of the international break four points behind Frankfurt and play Frankfurt at the weekend, so it's not it's not exactly out of the question that Dortmund obviously take then take that place and finish fourth. I think we will see a huge bid from Holland. I, th- I think it will be England and. I just don't have the impression that Barcelona or Real Madrid have the money right now unless they can each sell two or three huge players. If you were to push me, I'd probably, probably put my money on him being at City next season right now. I, I just think financially there's no one else that can compete and provide Dortmund with what they want. And at the other end, you can tell that he's incredibly competitive and the team dominating the Premier League is going to be an enormous carrot for him if he does look to move in the summer
6: you'll just have made a, a lot of City fans very happy there
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well I'm, I'm not in control of his future, so. <laughs> that's
6: true that's true well another name that immediately springs to City fans minds when we think of Dortmund is our, is our former academy starlet Jaden Sancho how much do you think he's developed as a player in, in the four years he's been in Germany
0: oh incredibly I, I was just talking to somebody this week about Jaden Sancho and just how I as, as an Englishman watching Dortmund every week and living in Germany, I'm stunned by how little the English press really talk mm. about him. The, the guy is in the top two or three under-21 players, under-22 players in the entire world. He, This is no flash in the pan. It's been two and a half seasons now, solid of producing week after week. He he didn't start this season great, but the since the turn of the year, I think he's got something like eight goals and seven assists in thirteen games. He is on his game. He's unstoppable. He's truly one of those you know cliche but you're a player that gets you on the edge of your seat and mm. you don't know what's going to come next from him. And yeah, I, he he didn't play the first sort of six months or so, not for the first team after he joined from City, and then after I think it was around Christmas, just the new year, he got into the team for the first time. And he was absolutely fantastic. It hit the ground running and has come on leaps and bounds. Like I say, I'm really surprised. Maybe Holland's goal-scoring form as well has taken a little bit of that thunder. But I would not be surprised to see Jane Sancho move to anywhere in the summer. He could play for any club in the world.
6: I saw you tweeting about Sancho, actually. I, I noticed you mentioned Jude Bellingham as well. Is he, uh, is he someone that, that City should be worried about in this tie, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I think, you know as another young English player. I think a lot of a lot of City fans probably haven't seen much of Bellingham, and he's only you know he's never played in the Premier League. He's come from the Championship. He's coming to Dortmund. That you watch him and these players come along now and then. You cannot believe their age when you see them. Um, he's been absolutely superb this season. He's walked into the team you can tell that the goals are going to come one day as well just a proper all-round all-action midfielder he wins the ball back he gets box to box he creates chances he dribbles past people he is not afraid of a challenge at all you would never guess that he was 17 from watching <laughs> him um yeah i, I again as, as a as an english person living in germany and watching jude bellingham every week i think that he should be nailed on to start for England in the Euros personally and it's a huge thing to say at his age but he is just ready for it and he's mentally as well he just seems to take take every challenge head on. He, he was caught he was calling the Sevilla left back a <laughs> in the first half and then the, the second half the Sevilla left back and then they'd had a little bit of a, a to-do and then the ball had gone off the pitch and the Sevilla left back hadn't managed to keep it on and Bellingham just laughed and called him a fat prick or a fat something like that um you just think like a 17 year old having the balls to just talk to someone like that i'm i don't even know if the guy had any idea what he was saying to him but um yeah i think that that sort of summed him up a little bit for me he's a he's talented and he's gifted but that little bit of grit and not giving a damn who he's playing against i think that will take him a very long way and it will be exciting to see him Play in England and at the highest level in England for the first time as well.
6: I think he said you're soft as shite to one of the Sevilla you're players soft as well. As shite. Yeah, it the
0: one. same guy.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Sevilla coach, Julian Lopotegi, said that he felt his side were better than Dortmund for three quarters of their, their round of 16 tie. Would you agree with that at all? Do you think Dortmund were a bit lucky to get through that one?
0: Um, I don't think Dortmund played particularly well. Um, I think Sevilla started the first leg well and ended the first leg well. They. They played really well in the sort of opening 30 minutes, maybe, of the second leg. But I don't feel like Dortmund were ever really hugely under pressure. I saw Lopoteki also say that sort of the difference was just that they have Haaland and we don't. but that's just sort of how football works, isn't it? If you've got, <laughs> if you've got a player and the other team doesn't, then uh, then that's you
6: know good for your side. They I scored thought, more goals than us. It's like saying that, <laughs> isn't it? <basically? laughs> yeah,
0: um, yeah. I, don't worry. I'll I'll be talking to you. I'm sure in a couple of weeks, complaining that Man City have Aguero and Sterling <laughs> and De Bruyne and Dortmund didn't, so it wasn't very fair. Um, yeah, I mean, Sevilla were were all right, but. They got caught out wide open on the break a couple of times. You're playing against Erling Haaland and clearly they knew they were playing against Haaland. And it wasn't just him, it was Sancho as well in the first leg especially. Um, So, you know, maybe don't play such a high line and don't allow them the time to play through you. Yeah, I, I don't think Dortmund would have had too many complaints if Sevilla had gone through but I don't think Sevilla can have many complaints that it went the way it did
6: yeah there you go if you're listening Pep don't play a high line don't let Dortmund play through you and we should be okay yeah sit here. back 10 men behind the ball uh, <laughs> I'm sure Dortmund would be thrilled. <laughs> uh, finally we have a charity bet on the Blooming Podcast so can we have a score prediction from you for the first leg please that'll be the home leg for City on the 6th of April
0: uh, I'm going to go for 3-1 City
6: 3-1 City nice set things up nicely for the second leg that <laughs>
0: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was Lewis Ambrose speaking to one football's Dan Burke. Um, so, uh, Andrew, this this kind of feels like the test of City's defence that they haven't faced yet, um, and I'm obviously referring to Erling Haaland in, in the way that uh, that pretty much everything to do with Borussia Dortmund refers to him right now. Um, but but like Stones and Diaz, or Laporte and Diaz, whoever plays, haven't faced a threat like this yet.
4: No, and I mean, it's also not just about um, Holland, but they have Sancho, they have um, Gio Reyna, they have all these other pieces, you know, Royce, that exist in the Dortmund attack that can really unsettle a defense. Um, the, the difference here is that their defense is not like Dortmund defenses maybe have been in the past. And if Dortmund wants to win this game, they're going to have to score a lot of goals. So if Stones and Diash can contain that attack and City can put up a couple and Dortmund has to really open themselves up rather than just being on the counter, I, I think that's what defines this match.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, th- that's the thing, isn't it, Sergio? How how do they deal with, with, with Haaland, for instance? Uh, like... You, you look at how Stones and Diaz have been playing together especially I mean the, the interesting thing with Stones as well is that, that mistake he made in, in the international break how that is going to be, be on his mind as well because he's, he's he's barely put a foot wrong this season and then he's got these two big games to come
2: <laughs> Yeah it's similar to uh, what we were speaking about Jamie Vardy earlier on it, it, I, I don't really know <laughs> um, it's going to be you know if I, if I knew how to deal with Haaland I think I'd be I'd be on a coaching staff at some <laughs> top club in Europe at this stage but him. Um, <laughs> No, listen. I, I I actually don't even know what way. He, I, I, like he's obviously rotated between the three centre halves, um, in the Champions League and the Premier League this season. Since Laporte's come back from his injury and, and obviously Stones has progressed into what we all hoped he could be. So, whatever two or if he decides to go three against Dortmund, which I, I don't really see myself, but I'm just thinking, you know, for a bit of like you know to be to stay rigid at the back. Um, we've seen him kind of make tweaks in the past in the Champions League and it wouldn't surprise me if he'd done something again but uh, just taking it as a, a four at the back I think no matter what two, two he deals with, or sorry two he chooses between the centre halves I think one thing you don't want to get sucked into is playing too high too high a line um, I think if Dortmund can find Haaland whip balls in behind then he listen he's going to cause trouble to any pair across Europe at the moment so I think what they'll have to do is they'll just have to let him know from early. Like, let's go back to some traditional old school centre halves and you know let them know he's in the game. And I, I, listen, I think Diaz and Stones are capable of, you know, doing a job on most centre forwards in the world. They've obviously never played this guy before, so he's big, he's powerful, he's going to get in their face, and you just be hoping that City keep the ball away from Dortmund, and that's how you stop him getting chances, getting caught high, too high up the pitch.
1: Yeah, John, I always, the, the, the kind of example I always think of is uh, when City faced Mbappe when he was a, a, an up-and-coming uh, child at, um, at Monaco. Uh, but the, again, the difference is uh, City's defence that day was uh, Stones and Otamendi as the as the back two with uh, Fernandinho at left-back and Bakary at right-back. Oh, well, it'd be Fernandinho at right-back and Bak- Bakary Sanya at left-back. So, I, I mean, in fairness, it's a better defence this time out.
4: It <laughs> is, is a it, better
3: defence. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore Andrew. He's trying to do that whole both sides of the argument thing again. <laughs> uh, typical lawyer. So I, I think that with you mentioned Mbappe there. And he, I think he was a lot more unknown on the global stage when he played against City. That was almost his kind of global launch, if you like. Um, because there was a lot of focus that day on Bernardo Silva, um, on Falcao as well, who was leading the line for Monaco. And he kind of slipped under the radar uh, and maybe wasn't given as much attention defensively as he should have been. Um, I don't think that's going to be a risk with Haaland. Um, <laughs> I, but... I, can I,
1: I, can't, I can't wait to see the moment where uh, Guardiola looks at his bench and went, "Why didn't we know about this guy? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so, but I, I think that does come with its dangers though. Um, because, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't scored that many goals against City, when despite the number of times that... That the teams played each other, um, but he can often um, be a foil for other, um, other teams as well. Sorry, other players. So, you know, focusing all that attention on Haaland, you can't forget about Royce, you can't, um, and, and if Sancho is fit, you can't forget about Sancho either. So, there are so many attacking options that they have if you just focus on harland you're going to get punished by somebody else so we just need to play our normal game as much as possible and i think that's where we failed in champions league in in recent seasons is that we've we've tried to play to the opposition too much in our in our lineup and in our tactics and so hopefully hopefully we finally learned that lesson
1: well, I'm I'm interested, Joe. I don't feel like that's the sort of thing Guardiola would stop doing. I mean, like the the, the the thing is, we talk about again his failings in inverted commas in the Champions League, um, and you know, you, you look at the amount of time he's had to prepare for this game. I, I, do you kind of in the back of your mind do you worry that he's going to do something a bit left field, or is he just, going to, or is he going to look at this game and and you know just make that assessment of what he needs to do to beat Borussia Dortmund?
2: Yeah, it's. I think failings. I think is what I always find when people kind of stick that they use to beat City in the Champions League, it's and Guardiola in particular. It's a difficult one because you know, like there's, there's been plenty of teams before us who have you know the likes of the Liverpools who have won like lots of Champions Leagues and Manchester United and stuff. They were playing in in this competition for a long time before you know winning it for the first time. We've only been competing in this at this level in Europe for about ten years or or so. So it, it's never it's like it's not going to be it's never going to be easy. Yes, you should think we should do better with the with the with the squads we've had and the players we've had. But we've also been quite unlucky over over a couple of years. You know, like you go back to the Liverpool game, Spurs. There's been big moments in these games that haven't gone. We haven't got the rub of the green in them. And listen, that all that all like matters when you look back over a ten year period or an eight year period of you know a club not doing well in a competition. So in this game, I'd hope he doesn't. Try and change or do anything too differently. Look, like, I don't want to see Gundogan playing the right side of a diamond like he did at Anfield that year, or you know, I don't want to see too anything too out of left field. And I don't think he will. Um, I think he's probably learned now over the years that if we actually just go out and play our best eleven at the time in the way that you know we've been playing all season, then we don't have too much to fear. I don't think, and I think he can he can often be caught out maybe a. Trying to you know overcompensate for what the opposition have, which you know shouldn't be neglected. You like you can't neglect that they have Sancho or or, or neglect that they have Erling Haaland. But you also need to be brave in your own game. And I, I I don't think I don't think I'm worried or concerned too much this season that he's gonna he's gonna do anything too too different than than what we've seen so far this season. He'll be looking for control of the game as he always does. Um as I say, I think he's an addict for and like. He's an addict for control. And I think he's not going to, I don't think there's going to be two out of the ordinary this time around. Please God.
3: If you think back to that, that uh, mad Monaco game at the Etihad um, and how nothing went to plan initially in that game. Um, and so we were forced to come back and do what, we, what we're good at and just attack and attack and attack. And we won that game five, three. Um, and then we tried to protect that in the second leg. And that's where we, massively failed is is trying to be something that we're not um and so we talk you know we can be conservative and that's fine but to try and kind of be a park the bus shut up shop team that's just not who city are
1: mm. yeah andrew it's uh, i mean the other side of this argument as well is always that uh, you know you you throw the the criticism again inverted commas that guardiola overthinks games that he's lost um, I mean the same could be said of games as one he overthinks them and gets it right so like is it actually this this fallacy that he overthinks things when he's got time to think about it
4: I've always said that I, I think it is overblown I think you know there is an extent to where sometimes Guardiola tries to out-tactic the other side and it can blow up but I don't think that that's you can't uh, take all the great things that Guardiola does for City and has done and when it works, but then criticize him for when it doesn't, because sometimes things just don't work. Um, And so I think that particularly with a team now where it seems that they really get uh, Guardiola's tactics and they can play almost what is his ideal football, um, I'm less worried about that now. I'm also slightly less worried that it was Dortmund that he had two weeks to think about compared to if we had drawn Chelsea or, Liverpool because I do think there's something about facing teams that he knows will understand City better because they played us enough that he is more willing to change things up
1: yeah Uh, Right, so it's time to get some predictions on the board and we're so close to raising £1,000 on the charity bet for this season. Alan Bates' correct score uh, of 2-0 for City in the last game at Everton took the total up to £995. All that money is going to the Christie, which is a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester, and each of the panel is getting a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill. Uh, We heard from Lewis there that he's predicting a 3-1 City win uh, against Dortmund, which is 9-1 and £90 if he's right. So let's start with the Dortmund game. Uh, Joe, what are you having for this one?
2: I went with a one-all draw.
1: Uh, one-all is uh, 15 to 2 and £75. And Andrew, I'm, uh, I'm giving you the next
4: one. 4-1 uh, to City.
1: 4-1 uh, is a 16-1. to one, So £160 if you're right. Uh, John, I didn't give you a Dortmund bet because you confess that you're terrible at these uh, predictions, <laughs> but you're going to get a Leicester one. So what score are you having?
3: Uh, I'm going to go with 2-2 against Leicester.
1: 2-2 uh, two, two is 16-1 as well uh, so £160 if you're right uh, Andrew what are you having? 1-1 one, one. Uh, that's 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right and last but not least Joe, what are you going for for
2: Leicester? 3-1 win for City with Aguero scoring
1: I uh, can't do the Aguero bit but 3-1 for City is 11-1 uh, <laughs> one and £110 if you're right remember you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more on responsible gambling have a look at begambleaware.org <laughs> Uh, time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in uh, for future shows. Just tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. The DMs are open as well so you can slide in there and send your question in that way. Uh, you can email us uh, via the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com and if you look on our Instagram page, just search for Blue Moon Podcast, you can also ask us questions through the story there as well. Uh, Mike Frankish is first up. He asked on Instagram, with the FA Cup semis announced as trial events for crowds, how are you feeling about going back into stadiums and will you be going back full time? Personally, I'm a little anxious about it and not convinced i'll renew my season ticket um now obviously this this is uh, an interesting question for uh a, a kind of a cross-country podcast uh, because the situation will be different
4: in uh, in all of our countries
1: um what's it like in america at the moment andrew uh
4: i have my first vaccine appointment tomorrow um and the local team that i support here in indianapolis has its first um games on the 8th of may and they're planning to have uh at least 25 if not 50 percent capacity in the stadium at that point so i'm expecting to be attending matches this season um it's something like 40 percent of people in my state are already vaccinated so you know i think as that number climbs i feel more comfortable doing things um But if I were in a place where a lot of people wouldn't be vaccinated and they were trying to reopen things, I would be much more cautious.
1: Yeah, John, uh, it sounds like you're not not from America, but you are in America. Uh, (laughs) So uh, are you in nearby? I don't know what state you're in. So what's the
3: situation there? I'm in I'm in Massachusetts um, and uh, which is about a thousand miles away from the state that Andrew is in uh, in Indiana. Um, And we are not quite. Quite as far ahead as they are, there we're um, we're basically at a point where I am going to have the opportunity to book my first vaccine appointment on April fifth. I think it is, so uh, we're getting closer and closer. But I do kind of definitely empathise with Mike about that that sense of not knowing who's been vaccinated who hasn't been vaccinated it's not just about being in the ground itself as well it's about everything that you know traveling to the ground and being around people walking up to the ground and crowds in general I I can I can understand how that is going to be quite uh nerve-wracking initially um and it may take a little while before everyone is is completely comfortable being in in a large group of people again
1: yeah, you're uh, you're about a thousand miles away from each other. Just for context for listeners uh, elsewhere, uh, the length of the UK uh, from its two extremities, Lands End to John O'Groats, is 874 miles. So you're you're further away from Andrew than uh, the length of the UK. So that's uh, that's kind of how it is. Uh, and uh, I mean, you might be able to tell from the accent. Jer, uh, what's it what's it like <laughs> in uh, in Ireland?
2: uh currently it is pretty you know the numbers uh, over here are quite steady the vaccine rollout though is incredibly slow Um i still can't travel beyond five kilometers from my house i I'm in a tour lockdown so uh, i have a season ticket with city and i'm looking at mike's question and he, fit, I, I'm also quite anxious about getting over. I mean, I can't even travel five kilometers at the moment, so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get to the airport, get on a plane, and get over every single Saturday to a to a game. So, listen, I understand completely where Mike's coming from, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really really missing it at this stage, and I'm just hoping that the vaccine rollout can be can be faster in this country, and I can I can start to you know going back to Manchester and you know basically a second home at this stage. So, I really really. Really looking forward to just getting back at it.
1: What What would you do if, um, obviously, if next season starts and we're still the travel is still not as easy, and obviously you've got you've got the factor in that you're gonna you're gonna get on a plane, being you know yeah. close proximity with recirculated air, all that sort of stuff, and then like if there, if there's no kind of option to suspend your season ticket or anything like that because maybe the, for for England or for the UK for the the rest of uh, of the United Kingdom stadiums are allowed to open and you're still in this situation where Ireland's maybe a bit, a little bit behind what, what how do you feel about that or what would you do
2: yeah it's, it's actually quite difficult it's been something I've been thinking about for a couple of months now ever since I suppose the original stoppage of play when, when we got the, the the original email from the club saying absolutely we can suspend season tickets for last season and obviously the beginning of this season and you know now you're starting to get the emails out about you know renewing tickets and what's coming up like you know the plan for england and the uk and how they're going to start introducing fans back and i was going oh my god like I, I don't even live in the country but like i'm probably as dedicated you know I've like, going over i try to get over as much as i can anyway so oh, it, it's very difficult it's obviously something i have to discuss with you know family and, and girlfriend and stuff but I, i'd find it very difficult to give it up um, haven't had it for so long I'd find it very difficult to, to to let the season ticket go but you'd also have to take into account that this isn't a normal circumstance we're living in so at the moment it's going to be play a playable year and hope this country gets a handle on it so that the, the the travel opens up the vaccine's in the arm and hopefully it's not as difficult getting into the UK as you know maybe it is at the moment
1: Yeah, well uh, we're running out of time so I'm, we've got three questions left so I'm going to flash one each at um, Text on Twitter asks Why hasn't Zinchenko got anywhere near the credit John Stones has this season when he's had a similar back-from-the-dead-story arc. John, what do you reckon?
3: Um, I wouldn't say it's as drastic as John Stones' um, back-from-the-dead-story arc in that um, expectations for Zinchenko when he first arrived at City were nowhere near as high as they were for John Stones. You know, his price tag wasn't anywhere near as as large. So um, I think that I agree with with Tex, though that Zinchenko definitely deserves a lot of credit for uh, the role that he has played um, this season and and the way that his his game individually has improved uh, defensively, um, but also as that option uh, going forward on, on the left. Ever since I think the Marseille game uh, in the group stage of the Champions League, we've seen that that his uh, option on the left um, is is giving City joy down that down that flank when Cancelo and Walker aren't playing together.
1: Yeah, Uh, Andrew, this one's for you. Ben Overfield has expressed this sentiment, but I've used the question from Eric the Newell on Twitter. Uh, He asks, will Fernandinho also get a statue when he finally leaves or hangs up his boots? Is he on the same legend level as the
4: other three? Should he be offered a new contract for next season as well? Uh, So, I think he should get a statue. Everyone keeps using a picture of uh, company Aguero and Silva holding a trophy, and they keep cutting out Fernandinho in the same picture, and I'm like just use that picture, make it all four of them, because uh, I love Fernandinho. Uh, I think that he is a guy who has given everything to the club and really gets it. I think he's been an ideal captain since taking it on. Um, So I would say that he is a legend for everything he's done for the club. And regarding a contract, I have a sinking suspicion that he is strongly considering going into management. So if you can offer him some kind of a player assistant coach role where you know he knows that he might not play a lot but it starts letting him get his coaching badges and get experience so he can move it whether it's into the youth level or being Pep's assistant I think that's ideal for next season yeah
1: and uh, final question for this week comes from Sean Som on Instagram who says uh, does Pep go with Ake for the remaining Premier League games and save legs of the other centre-backs for the crunch games Joe what do you reckon
2: um, I think if it was a normal manager potentially yes but I don't think Pep will like to he doesn't like to save legs per se um, I think he, I think Ake will play plenty of games um, in the Premier League particularly over the next couple of months but whether that means you know playing a mixed match of a side I don't think he's going to do that no because I think The Premier League at the end of the day still isn't won, and he's going to want to get that done as quick as he can. So we maybe see Laporte, Stones, Diaz rotation for the first couple until maybe we get over the line, and then we'll start maybe seeing the the players like Ake, you know, come back into the side for the the remaining games.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this week from the Main Road Ramble podcast John Ashley. Thank you, David. Andrew Detmer. Thank you, sir. And Joe Deegan been a pleasure david thank you uh john guys where can where can people get the podcast
3: uh any any and all good podcast stores uh and we, we're just kind of starting uh venturing into youtube as well um we do most of our social media stuff on twitter at main road ramble and that's main road as in with an e uh and yeah that's uh, that's where you can find us
1: lovely stuff uh, always worth a follow as well so uh, the photoshops alone uh, like the one for today's <laughs> podcast is, uh, uh, they're, they're a sight to behold sometimes I'm not sure who's responsible for them but, uh, but yeah, yeah credit to you whoever it is um, if you'd like some more of the gang we've also got this week's Patreon bonus show for that we're discussing the players who have played for both City and Borussia Dortmund down the years plus a few of the recent meetings between the sides as well that's available for everyone who backs on one of our Patreon tiers just take a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast for more details If you do sign up to patreon you'll also get the main show each week completely ad free again all the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast please go and give the podcast a rating and a review in all the usual places too and i'll be back next week so i'll see
0: you then